Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Joshua Jackson. This podcast is all about hearing from authentic leaders across the country, gaining an understanding of the mindset of the people that get up each day and make this country work. Today, I'm speaking with Karen Bowring, Managing Director of Professionals UK. Karen, welcome back onto the show. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me back. Pleasure. No, it's going to be a great conversation we're about to have. You know, there's been a quite a bit of time since the last uh, appearance, and I'm sure a lot's changed both within the business, personally, and obviously worldwide. But um, uh, if you wouldn't mind, just start this off. Give a bit of background about yourself and uh, and the company. Yes. So. Um, I am the Managing Director of Professionals UK. Um, I started the company in 2005. Um, it's a, I come from an English language background, having taught in the ESL sector since um, graduating myself and, uh, you know, been in the whole English language teaching industry for my whole life, really, um, from teacher to director of studies principle of marketing and through that I saw the value of international students who came to the UK to um, get internships um, with British companies like some work experience for a limited period of time and able to um, you know really kind of spread that international vibe and improve their language so I've been um, doing that since 2005 when I set up the agency and uh, yeah, it's it's been a, a a long and interesting road with lots and lots of ups and downs because we're very kind of governed by politics and um, international events, of which there's been quite a few in the last couple of years. <laughs> Absolutely, the international relations really has taken over, hasn't it? And um, you know, whilst yeah. you all might be looking at a, a very sort of you know micro perspective, you know, you're affected by all of those those huge events that have been going on. But uh, just for a little bit of clarification before we, we dive into that, um, what sort of age ranges are you working with? Um, generally, a university age student. So we do deal with a lot of sixth formers from um, various parts of the world. Mainly, they've historically been Europeans. Um, but yeah, may, we're mainly looking at kind of 18 to 26 years. Yeah, about 18 to 28, that kind of age group. And since you say, you know, mainly Europeans, I'm assuming you're working worldwide as well. Well, I mean, until Brexit, we were 80% European and 20% the rest of the world. And since Brexit, it flipped on its head. So it's 80% rest of the world, 20% if that of um, EU students. Yeah, it's been a real revolution that's happened um, in our whole industry, well, particularly in our niche sector of the industry. That is quite the turnaround. You know, you don't expect it to go completely from one side of the other quite so quickly. But obviously, given, as we all, as we say, that the worldwide events, Brexit, COVID, um, travel restrictions, visa issues, um, of which we're going to speak about. But, uh, you know, that is that is quite a change. And, you know, the last time you were on was in the midst of the COVID pandemic, the COVID lockdowns, the travel restrictions, the, the issues that were going on, which will obviously just come on the back of Brexit and all of that confusion as well, some of which has now been dealt with, some of which most definitely hasn't. Um, but last time you were on, you were talking about having about 90% cancellations of students coming over and fulfilling the programmes and the placements. Um, have you 
managed to bounce back from that? Uh, yes, I'd say we have bounced back, but not we're not as big as we were um, in pre-COVID times. I mean, we were really kind of flying. In, uh, industry, education industry was really, really flying, uh, especially with the English language schools. Um, obviously, that domino effect of COVID and those bookings um, just disintegrating, it kind of meant we had to put on furlough or let go of um, 70% of our staff. Um, so we became a kind of skeleton operation and we became extremely agile, very pivotal. And what we did initially was we represented um, our industry body, which is English UK, um, to become uh, gateway providers for the government kickstart programme. Now, that was, <laughs> I laugh because I look back at it with a kind of, it was an amazing programme, actually, really amazing. Um, and it could have gone on longer or it may be adapted in different ways. But it was an extreme, it was a vertical learning curve because the government was making it up as they went along. Like the DWP department within the government in which it operated, you know, they were recruiting people as fast as possible to get the scheme off the ground. And to their credit, they did it well. But the teething problems were extremely painful for anyone who was involved in, like, like us, being a gateway provider. So, um, so how it worked was if you if you're a large company like Tesco's and you could take on 30 people and offer them a job, and these are like people who are hard to employ, mm-hmm. age 16 to 24, just out of education or not in education, and they were not likely to get a job easily. So if Tesco's would take more than 30, that's great. They could be their own gateway. But for small companies, they needed an umbrella. And that's what we were for the English language business. Um, and we took, um, let's, I think we took about, we got 75 people into various schools and coaching them. Mm. Um, and another 25 that we just coached um, without getting them in ourselves. Um, and, you know, also about, say about 45 of them got into lasting positions where they were offered jobs. And, um, yeah, it was very, very rewarding, even though it was extremely painful. Mm. We had to go through the kind of government mechanics and they lost our application the first time around and we had to do it all over again. It was like pages and pages of, of detailed data. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I... I, yeah. I was going to say, you know, I'm not surprised by that. Sometimes the, um, you know, government bureaucracy can uh, uh, turn very slowly and uh, things do get lost. And you really did anticipate one of the things I was going to ask you about, the, the kickstart scheme, really, because it was, many people said it was successful, um, but equally as many had issues with it. And one of the major issues was actually getting smaller employers on board. And I think that's something... Was that something that you found, you know, obviously trying to, to get these placements? Was it the, the hesitancy, especially during this difficult period, um, of getting employers on board to have those placements? Or, you know, what what, what were the issues? Um, I think some of the issues we found was that it was a geographical difficulty. There were a lot, like, we had quite a lot of placements that were successful in, for example, the Leeds area, around Manchester, um, and kind of Brighton area also, where we had the right match of candidates 
for the type of placements offered because we were really, really encouraged to provide or try and get companies to provide a lot of new skills like social media marketing type mm-hmm. of things. And I think small companies went for it with gusto. You know, they really did. <laughs> and they tried their best. And then they went through the, you know, they had to jump through a lot of hoops to be able to be um, accredited. You know, rightly so, because it's the taxpayer's money that is mm. paying for this. But what we found was we had a lot of interest as well from London. And maybe there were too many providers. Um, and there was just not enough candidates of the right caliber or type mm. in the right location. So there was some huge gaps in areas of the country with com- companies offering a lot. But they just didn't have the candidates to, you know, to put in them. So I think there was some groups in society that would, you know, that just were excluded for very minor reasons. Yeah. It might be, it might be something like they've got one day of benefit in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. and that excluded them from the whole six-month program, or you know, something. It was some often an insignificant detail that that. You know, just meant a lot of young people kind of missed out on this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Whilst at the same time, I mean, I, I am aware that there is an awful lot of clawing back that's gone on. Because inevitably, when you a government launches a big scheme like this, you get a lot of people, kind of, a lot of companies who might not be the most honest mm-hmm. trying to get away with... Um, Things that they shouldn't, let's say. Of course, and you know, um, obviously, we're hearing that just from getting you know bounce back loans, um, the fraud that was going on there, the some of the, the yes. issues on <clears throat> on furlough. But you know, obviously, this was a time of immense pressure, and um, you know, if you're exactly. going to, yeah. you need to provide funding or opportunities, um, and not to, <clears throat> let's say defend every aspect of it but uh, you know everybody wanted those things and then it's only since things have calmed down that people look back and say you know what mistakes were made and it yeah. is always going to be the case when you are doing these things wholesale and in, uh, in so quickly Absolutely. yeah to, to yeah. react to, to the issues no, no. Yeah. Um, yeah so obviously that's all sort of ended now what does today look like what does today look like yes for uh, for yourself yeah. and, and professionals uk mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, we're just coming to the tail end of Kickstart because, you know, we had quite a lot of coaching sessions with all the applicants and the last starting date was March. So they, there's some going up to September where they're still getting kind of career coaching. And, you know, this was um, an aspect of our company that we really developed and deepened because mm-hmm. of the Kickstart program. So we just became experts in coaching young people in how to present themselves and, you know, how to however meagre their experience, we were allowing them to kind of see who they actually were on paper mm. in a way that they really felt they could talk about and look, you know, job inter- job applications are often really um, scary. You, you, you look at a job advertised in the paper or online and inevitably a lot of companies use quite complex language or they use you know, words like leveraging and and all sorts of words like that, that people just don't understand quite what they mean. Mm. And they don't realize that, oh, I've actually done that. It, and, and so people get, I mean, if I looked at my own job, um, my own, you know, job, my own job description on paper, I'd be scared to apply for it. 
yes, it's. Uh... So, yeah, we really help the young people get really practical and understand what these words mean, and say, "Look, you've actually done that. You can talk about that." Mm. Um, so that was great, and we've we've brought that into what we do now. So, whilst we've um, we've moved very very much away from um, placing large numbers of European students coming through the Erasmus program, mm. um, we now are more dealing with um, international students at UK universities. And we can now offer this extra layer of coaching and helping them to kind of really sell themselves to future companies, as well as getting them into industry placement. But, I'm, you know, I am very sad about the, um, the demise of the European market. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's um you know it's it's going to be something that's going to be ongoing whilst you know, the 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 EU and uh, the UK just sort of fight out some of their issues isn't it and that uh, it's going to be a number of years and actually that brings me on to a recent debate that took place on uh, July 19th um at Westminster Hall um, it was yeah. all about language schools and the yeah. issues that were going on, headed up by um, Dr. Rupa Huck, uh, the MP for Ealing Central and Acton. And, and just to quote um, a few of the, the stats that were going on before I think we will go into this, but um, it yeah. was 2019 was... You know, obviously, the, the sector's last normal year of trading, there were 550,000 students, half of them under 18, contributing 1.4 billion into the UK economy, supporting 35,000 jobs and, uh, uh, you know, underpinning the, the 20 billion across the education markets. Um, and the British Educational Travel Association have said that between 2019 and 2022, the number of students groups uh, coming from the EU dropped by 84%, which is matching your experiences. And those are huge numbers, huge numbers for a, a huge industry that, you know, brought a lot to the UK, um, you know, and actually then exported UK culture, UK language, UK abilities and, and sort of education as well. Um, you know, what do you think the, the solution is here? Is there one? Well, I mean, what you said yeah, is exactly um, correct. And um, well, I think the solution lies in the time when I, I think our, our industry, English language teaching industry, within the private sector of the, you know, the huge network of, of language schools throughout the UK, I think it's really misunderstood by central government. They, they, they're looking at the um, university market, which has done very well, and rightly mm. so, but the private language sector is a real kind of feeding pipe into that. I mean, most... Um, most people that study at UK universities have at some stage, since they were probably about 12, come to the UK year after year after year after year for 10 years, you know, more or less, um, with, their, with their school group. They've come um, from an EU country, for example, and they, they come with their class teacher and they do two to four weeks in a seaside town and, you know, they keep coming back year after year and every time they come you know another 40 50,000 pounds every group is bringing into the local economy mm. now what it needs is an awareness of that because you know I I am a believer in shop local mm. and you know whilst Brexit is done if I don't I wouldn't I would prefer to buy 
um, if I was buying fruit, I'd prefer to buy it locally rather than have it exported from Australia. Mm. Because, you know, whilst it's great to bring people from all over the world, I'm not um, going against that. It's also shop local is encouraged in every other sphere. And on our doorstep, we have got a whole, I can't remember how many countries are in Europe that do not speak English, but we have an incredible number of them on the doorstep who could come into the UK on the train. It, it could expand rail routes. It would be amazing to do that. And they come in mass numbers, especially when they're in the sixth form equivalent of their school. They come into kind of boarding school. They they come in vast numbers. And, and this year, having opened up again, there's about 40% of pre-pandemic levels because there is this closed, um, closed mind of the idea of them letting them come in, as they always did, using their ID card. Because if you, most of these people don't have a passport. Mm. They don't need one whilst they stay in the EU area. And so if you go to a class teacher downtown in Barcelona and say, okay, we've got a school for your children to go over and improve their English. But if they go to Ireland, it'll cost you this much. They can go with their ID. If you go to Britain, it's going to cost you this much more yeah. because if everyone's got to get a passport and they'll go home to their parents and say, oh, I'm not sending Pedro there because it's just too expensive. Mm. And that's replicated across the millions and millions of people living in the EU. Whereas these people are not going to be absconded. They're not going to be disappearing into the UK economy mm. as illegal immigrants. They're just children. You know, they're children coming in and boosting the EU, um, boosting the UK economy massively, massively. I mean, we are used to the pavements being blocked around in the area I live in Brighton mm. by massive groups with their rucksacks. And this is, you know, across Bournemouth, Eastbourne, Margate, Scarborough, yep. all over the country. And a lot of places that are generally starved of economy and rely yeah. on tourism and these sorts yeah. of programmes. Mm. The host families, the taxi companies, the social programme companies, mm. the coach companies. It's just a huge uh, missed opportunity, really. Um and, and with that, you know, they used to come and spend all their Erasmus money in Britain. So it, Britain is a magnet for Erasmus, and we've come out of that scheme, unfortunately, and there's this touring scheme, which is more for outbound. But we used to attract so much of the Erasmus money to be spent in the UK, and now a lot of these people are going to Ireland or Malta, who frankly are also suffering because the numbers are so huge mm. that they can't provide the service at the quality they used to because yeah. it's like it's like having too many people in your shop yeah. trying to buy everything. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting yeah, point as well, you know, just because we're, there's so many more people going to, you know, a smaller places or having a smaller choice of places to go that everybody's suffering, yeah. not just... Yeah. England or the UK because of the, the choices that have been made and, and the hit on our yeah. economy, but also the students because they're not going to get the same experience and the same potential love for for the culture, which then in 20 years can have a knock-on effect because people aren't prioritising uh, English. People yeah. aren't working within that language and, and understanding that, that culture. It's actually... You know, that, I think that's probably going to be one of the more far-reaching points that I'm going to take from this yeah. and um, you know, yeah. continue to think about. It's soft power. Mm. It's soft power. I mean, just this morning, we got 
um, an email from a Spanish college that we did manage, they managed to use some pre-COVID Erasmus funding. And the, I mean, hats off to him, the, the, <coughs> the head of department, Juanjo, in Barcelona, he almost had a nervous breakdown getting through the um, British Council visa system yep. in order to get his students over here. It was it was so stressful for him. But he's glad that he did because they had an amazing experience with an art gallery design company mm-hmm. in London. And their teacher in Barcelona has just praised the manager, mm-hmm. David, and he's just said, you know, please come and visit us in Barcelona. And that is just such a, a warm sentiment yeah. because the rest of Europe is thinking of us like, oh, Britain. What are they doing? You know, yeah. they're not feeling that warmth towards us at all. And that's what power is. You know, a lot of EU countries, they love Britain. They mm. love coming here. And it, it, I don't know how long it's going to take to turn this back around, but I really hope they can because, um, you know, it, it's some, there's so much to be gained from, from just getting rid of kind of... Um, Narrow vision, I would say. Narrow vision. So if you had, let's turn to the hypothetical. If you had the opportunity to make one change, which was going to ease people coming to the UK, revitalise the, um, you know, the language sector, um, what would it be? Would it be ease of collective passports? Would it be accepting of um, ID cards, which is one of the main sticking points? Um, Would it be access to funding? Would it be a marketing campaign to say, you know, we're open? Where would you go? Well, the We're Open has been, um, we've been saying it non-stop through the English language industry. Um, and so that's kind of done. It would be this easing of the routine in, in for the local market of, mm. um, yeah, multiple passports, multiple people on a, you know, with, an, with IDs being allowed to come in. Um, and just a, uh, a, a small um, short-term visa allowance for them to be able to use their Erasmus funding here mm. because Erasmus funding is allowed to be used in an outside country and yeah. we're now an outside country, but there's no route for them to get in to do it. So, so it's like saying, yes, you can you can go and visit that place, but there's no road that goes there. Yep. So just easing that ability for people to get across the border, to come over here for X number of days, 180 days, 90 days, whichever, um, you know, as there seems to be the current maximums. But, um, you know, just making sure that the groups can can come over easily and potentially streamline it. So let's try and get this message to everybody that was involved um, in the debates on the 19th. And, um, you know, hopefully the Leaders' Council can help you you push that and, uh, uh, you know, get get some conversations going on that road, you know, especially with a new incoming government um, in September as well, which is a completely different topic of conversation. We're not going to go down, but, um, you know, uh, yeah, it could be mean, an interesting it, message. Mm. Well, it would be. And, and particularly if, you know, they are allowed to come and study. However, if they could do short-term working visas for three months, it would ease so much pressure as well on the hospitality industry. Mm. Because apart from doing like career internships that we provide they could just get a bar job or something for three months 
mm. which is what always used to happen. And, you know, that would really help the hotel industry and, you know, casual work. Yeah, bring back some of but, the uh, the seasonal hospitality uh, elements that yeah, have always been going exactly. on and, you know, should be available. But, um, you know, I'd just like to sort of move on a little bit, if that's right, because obviously sure. part of this process is talking about leadership. And um, you had a really interesting conversation uh, with Scott the last time you were on talking about, um, you know, trusting those around you, new hires with getting on with their roles, you know, giving them a bit of freedom, not just constantly micromanaging, but also your own ability to start the business that you started as well, taking risks, identifying that business plan and launching and just sometimes just sort of going for it and believing in yourself. And the COVID period, the Brexit period, all of the issues that you know, you've had over the past couple of years have brought on a whole new raft of changes for a lot of other companies. Um, and do you think that you've, you've changed in your individual style and the way that your, your business is running? Have you learned any, any lessons that you think you'd like to share this time? Oh, gosh. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have changed in, enormously. Um, I, well, I've never understood until this period of really doing what you can do now, because every now is the physical moment. It's always the physical moment because we don't know what's going to happen next. So whilst there is some future planning, I'm really I live in the power of now, mm. and and so do so do the people who um, work with me. Um, my I had a business partner Bella who. And she still works with me, but um, she has now gone on to a new field and she works as a freelance. Um, we've all become a little bit freer in some way and a little bit less hanging on and thinking, oh, I know what's going to happen, routine to everything. Mm-hmm. So everyone's kind of a little bit looser in what they do. And um, maybe that work-life balance has improved in that way, mm-hmm. you know, um, everyone's working from home and everyone's become a little bit more adaptable, including all the companies I work with. Everyone's loosened all their rules of saying, oh, no, that can't happen, that can't yeah. happen. Everyone's kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm sure we can manage that. It's quite interesting, you know. People have really, lo- their minds have loosened because everything was turned on its head. And so we're all, we're all I mean, I am like, well, yeah, maybe that'll, Maybe that will work. Let's give it a go. Um, we'll try it. And I'm noticing that um, my colleague up in York, another Karen who works with me, um, you know, she, we, we're both just such a strong team. We just mm. pick up each other's thread all the time. And we just go with the flow. I think the biggest message is I go with the flow much more because I know I have no power over world affairs. Um, I just, I just jump in and see where it takes me, and 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 uh, just try to keep on with this kind of core belief I have mm. of well, keeping no. international connections going. And, you know, from that, you know, it just seems that you're still so passionate about the work and about the role and about the the wider industry. And maybe this need for adaptability and these um, challenges that have come in from all sides has brought back the excitement. Um, And that's always, always great as well, isn't it? You know, getting up each day, not really knowing what's going on and thinking, you know what, there might be a bit of chaos today, but I'll deal with it. And, you know, it could be quite exciting. Um, So, yeah, yeah. 
If we're looking now just to the future, the next six months, the next year, um, what have you got coming on? Um, well, we've got a lot more connections with university students um, across the UK and, and kind of building up networks around all the major universities to get them placements for part of their course, which is really exciting. Working more with um, universities in the Northwest and Yorkshire as well as London ones. We've also, um, you know, students coming to language schools are also able to, this is a great thing actually, they're able to volunteer for mm. up to 30 days. Okay. So that, that is a good thing because anyone can do that. So we're kind of helping them to find volunteer placement um, as part of their cultural tour in Britain of the language. So, so mm. many charities are a big thing in the UK. And so it's, that is a very satisfying thing when you can get a charity benefiting from some young person from France doing some social media for them because, you know, it, they, everyone wins. Yep. And even though it's a short period, it's, you know, that's kind of a big program for us this mm. year to help that happen. Um, and to just keep, yeah, keep going with the, um, the, the more the university side of things mm. because that is a real kind of success story in the country that international student placements have really filled up in the university sector so and everyone wants some experience especially if they're going to stay on the graduate visa mm. they want to be able to get a job so we're you know we're part of that um again as i say keeping britain connected to the world and and letting young people leave britain with a really positive view of British industry. I see that as part of my role. Well, that's, I think, a fantastic way to end this, that positivity on promoting Britain, promoting British culture, promoting English, but also then, as we've mentioned, just giving something back to the people that are coming over, you know, expanding their horizons, throwing them into new, um, you know, challenges where they'll pick up different life skills, different vocabulary as well, um, which yep. is always great. Um, and, yep. uh, and, and a wider understanding of, of what they're capable of, um, which is part of the point of doing these courses as well. But uh, Karen, if people wanted to find you, if they wanted to learn more, where would they be going? Would they be going to a website, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn? Yes, the best is on our website, professionals.uk.com. Um, they can find us there, companies can find us there, and then students can find us there. And uh, hopefully we can help them match one to the other. Brilliant. Well, so, yeah. Karen, thank you ever so much for coming back on uh, to the show. It's been a really interesting conversation covering some old ground in new ways and uh, new stuff that's been coming through the pipeline as well. So, uh, yeah, I wish you all the best going forward. It'd be great to, to catch up again once some of these new plans and, and hopefully uh, the changes um, have got easier. Thank you, Joshua. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>